Lord Jesus Christ, open our minds to understand your holy word this morning. And as we listen, set our hearts on fire with love for you. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to all of you. If you are just joining us for the first time today, uh, it may be helpful to know that for several weeks we've been in a section of Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapters 9 to 11, a section where Paul is dealing with the question of why Jews and Gentiles seem to be responding differently to the gospel. Jesus, of course, came into the world, died on the cross, and rose again as the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jewish people. And yet, that same Jewish people overwhelmingly did not believe in him as their Messiah and Lord. Meanwhile, to everyone's surprise, Gentiles, non-Jews, from around the Mediterranean world were coming to faith in Jesus, so that the Christian church, which had started out as a small group of Jewish believers, was quickly becoming majority Gentile. So all through this section, Paul has been helping the Christians in Rome among whom were both Jewish and Gentile believers, to think through this surprising situation and to learn all they can about God and about their place in God's own purposes. And in our text this morning, Paul does something he's never done before in this letter, at least not explicitly. He singles out Gentiles in his audience in particular. He says to them, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, in verse 13. So if you're like me, a Gentile Christian, a Christian from a non-Jewish background, then listen up, because this morning the Apostle Paul wants to help us, in particular, to understand our place in God's purposes. That's what's going on this morning. And Paul does it for us by presenting us with the image of an olive tree. The root of this tree is holy, Paul says. And so its branches are too. But some of the branches of the tree have been broken off. And now a wild olive shoot has been grafted in. Now some of you already know about this. But for the rest of us, here is a reminder of how grafting works. A farmer or a gardener carefully cuts a branch off from one plant and then attaches it to the rootstock of another plant. And if this is done carefully and properly, then pretty soon the two parts grow together, and they continue to grow as one organism, one plant, with the rootstock supporting and nourishing the grafted branch, just the same way it would nourish one of its natural branches. And Paul tells us that this is what God has done for us Gentiles. We were not originally part of this holy tree, were we? We were not originally part of God's chosen people. We were just some wild shoot, some people out there on the edge. But God, in his mercy, collected us from the wild and carefully grafted us in to that holy rootstock. The root, as I understand it, is God's saving work in history. All the things that God has done to save his people from creation all through the Old Testament and culminating, of course, in Jesus Christ. 
Now, that great story of God's saving work didn't used to have anything to do with us, did it? It was a Jewish story, full of Jewish and Israelite characters. But now, we have been grafted into that story. Grafted into the history of God's saving work. That's what happened to us when we heard the word of Christ and believed. We became a part of God's covenant people. And now together with the whole company of faithful people throughout all history, we're connected to and nourished by that holy and holy making root, which is the saving work of God. It's an amazing thing God has done. But unbelieving Jews, meanwhile, are like branches that were broken off from this tree. By nature, they should have been part of the tree. After all, they grew up from it. And it's true that the Jewish people grew up from the root of God's saving work in history. But something went horribly wrong. Right at the climax of God's saving work, they failed to believe. They rejected God's anointed Savior when he came to them. And so, Paul says, they were broken off because of their unbelief. Because you can't be nourished by God's saving work without faith in God's saving work. Even if you were born into it, you can't be part of this tree without faith. So they've been broken off and we've been grafted in. We're in and they're out. Sounds pretty nice for us. But hold on. Don't get too comfortable. Because listen to what Paul says in verses 17 and 18. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, if all that is true, Paul says, and it is, then do not be arrogant toward the branches. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. That is, toward the branches that were broken off. Paul is warning us here about a special temptation that faces us as Gentile Christians. The temptation to be arrogant toward the unbelieving Jews. It's one of the great tragedies of history, isn't it, that Christians have in many times and places, being incredibly arrogant toward their Jewish neighbors. Gentile Christians have sometimes imagined that they're ethnically or culturally superior to the Jews. The Jews are those evil people who rejected Christ, they might think, but we're much better than that. At its most extreme, this kind of attitude has led to violent persecution of Jews. But even when that doesn't happen, it sometimes leads Gentile Christians to ignore their Jewish neighbors. Not to get to know them, not to talk to them about Jesus, not to pray for their salvation, because those people are just too far gone. Friends, I hope it is very obvious to you that that is a total distortion of the teaching of the Bible. Nothing in the Bible justifies anything like that kind of attitude. And in fact, everything that Paul has said in Romans has directly contradicted that, right? Throughout this letter, you've heard Paul often have harsh words for unbelieving Jews, but his point has never been to suggest that they're inferior to Gentiles. 
On the contrary, he's been at pains to show that Jew and Gentile ultimately stand in exactly the same position before God. As Paul put it way back in the early chapters of this letter, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Paul told us that in chapter 3, verse 9. And in chapter 1, 16, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So all people are sinners, subject to God's wrath and in urgent need of salvation. And all people can receive that salvation from God by faith in Jesus. In these most fundamental things, there is, as Paul said in chapter 10, verse 12, no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no distinction. And so there's no basis for Jews to be arrogant toward Gentiles, as was a temptation for some of them in Paul's day. But neither is there any possible basis for Gentile believers to be arrogant toward unbelieving Jews. So do not be arrogant toward the branches, Paul warns us in verse 18. And if you are, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Remember, in other words, that if you Gentiles are now part of God's holy people, it's not because of anything in your particular ethnic or cultural heritage. It's only because God has graciously attached you to the root of someone else's history and heritage. But Paul imagines in verse 19 that some Gentile Christians will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. The arrogant implication is that God must like me more than he likes them, because he broke them off and put me in their place. <laughs> well, Paul responds in verse 20, it's true that that's what's happened, but not at all for the reason you're implying. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. The only thing that connects any of us to this tree is faith. And without faith, all of us, without distinction, would be broken off. And if we really understand that, then we won't have an attitude of arrogance or pride about the fact that we've been grafted in. Instead, we'll have an attitude of profound humility. And even, as Paul says here, an attitude of fear. Humility, because we know that our inclusion depends purely on God's mercy, not on any kind of superiority on our part. And fear, because we know that if we ourselves fall into unbelief, then we will share the fate of the natural branches that were broken off. Christians are, I think, supposed to have a healthy fear of unbelief. Let me explain what I mean by sharing an illustration that I once heard from another preacher and found really helpful. Imagine that you're a parent, and you're teaching your children not to play in the street. To keep them safe from getting hit by a car, you'll actually want them to develop a healthy fear, right? A healthy fear of street traffic. Not an unhealthy fear. 
You don't want them to be so afraid of street traffic that even when they're playing inside, safe in the living room, they can't enjoy themselves because they're just cowering and trembling, thinking of the cars outside the window. No, that would be an unhealthy kind of fear. We don't want that. But you do want your kids to have another kind of fear. You want them to have the kind of fear that if they're ever playing outside in the yard and the ball rolls into the street, they will instinctively stop chasing it. You want them to have a realistic sense of the danger. A realistic sense that, wait a minute, there's a real possibility of harm here. And I need to proceed cautiously. Or I need to go get my parents for help. That's the kind of fear that Christians must have of unbelief. A realistic sense of a real danger that sometimes confronts us. All of us in our Christian lives will have moments of this. It's not that we should be lying awake in bed every night worrying about whether we might one day lose our faith. No, that would be an unhealthy fear. And if you do ever feel that way, you can remember that it was God who gave you your faith in the first place. And so you can trust him to take care of your faith, to bring you safe to salvation in the end. If we entrust ourselves to God and stay close to him, then we don't need to be afraid of unbelief. But it's right that we should feel afraid if we ever catch ourselves starting to move away from him, out of safety and into spiritual danger. Any time that we're tempted to doubt the truth of God's promises, or to trust our own opinions more than God's word, or to take our life into our own hands instead of surrendering it to God, when we feel that way, then just like a kid who's about to run out into traffic, we should stop and think, Whoa, yikes, hold on a minute. There's a real deadly danger here. We need to call our Father to come and help. Because many, many people have been deluded by unbelief before, both Jews and Gentiles. Many people. And we're no smarter or wiser than they were, or better in any way. The only thing that can prevent us from sharing their same fate, the only thing that can keep us safely attached to the tree, is to flee from the danger of unbelief, to flee into the arms of God our Father himself. A healthy fear of unbelief will keep us turning again and again to God, the object of our faith, continually entrusting ourselves to him and depending on him for help and salvation. And that's the right attitude for a grafted branch, isn't it? Not arrogance, but total dependence on the root. Because it's from that root, God's saving work on our behalf, that we have our daily support and nourishment. It's because of that holy root that we ourselves as branches have become holy. And so, Paul ends this passage by bringing our focus back onto the kindness of God. He says in verse 22, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. I really love that line, provided you continue in his kindness. Because it shows us just what the nature of the Christian life is supposed to be. It's not about trying really hard, or figuring everything out, or doing everything right all the time. 
It's about continuing in God's kindness. The focus is not on our own effort. That's not the thing that will keep a Christian going. The focus is on God and his kindness to us. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life. That's the whole thing. It's because of God's kindness that we were grafted onto this tree in the first place, which we otherwise never would have been a part of. It's because of God's kindness that we're now supported and nourished by that root every day, that we're justified by the blood of Jesus and sanctified by his Holy Spirit. It's because of God's kindness that we're saved, and it's because of God's kindness that we can hope also for the salvation of others. And this is the hope that Paul shows in verses 23 and 24. Even they, that is the branches that were broken off, the unbelieving Jews, even they, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Even those broken branches may yet be grafted back onto the tree, back into God's covenant people. Right now, they're in unbelief. But if they don't continue in unbelief, if they repent and put their faith in God's saving work, then God in his kindness will be overjoyed to bring them back to their proper place on that holy tree. Paul has already told us in this letter that he's longing for and praying for the conversion of his fellow Jews. And he has confidence that God is at work to bring many of them to faith in Christ, even through the surprising situation of so many Gentiles coming to faith. Paul hopes that the coming to faith of so many Gentile Christians may make his fellow Jews jealous and provoke them to faith in Christ themselves. It's a strange idea, isn't it? But it's a beautiful one. The idea is that when they see us Gentiles enjoying the infinite riches of God's kindness, even though none of it belonged to us by nature, then they will themselves long to come and share in what should have been their inheritance all along. And so it's actually part of the witness of every Christian to enjoy God's kindness. The more we can get to know and to enjoy the grace and love and fellowship that are ours through Jesus Christ, then the more those around us will be drawn to him. Jealous for what we have. So we've heard three things this morning that Paul wants every Gentile Christian to hear. First, don't be arrogant. Remember that you're not here because you're better than anybody else. Number two, have a healthy fear of unbelief. So that whenever you're tempted to unbelief, you will run to God for help. And three, continue in God's kindness. Enjoy God's kindness. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy him so much that other people even get jealous and come running to experience God's kindness themselves. Lauren and Evan, you're about to be baptized. Yay. <laughs>
That will be the outward sign of what God is doing in your lives, of how he's making you part of his holy people, crafting you in by faith. I hope that you're both conscious today of how it's God's kindness that brought you here, and that it's God's kindness that will keep you going in faith all of your lives long. So we pray that God would grant each of you joy, both for your sake, so you can have the pleasure of enjoying him, and also for the sake of those that he'll draw to himself through your witness over the coming years. That he'll grant you to enjoy his kindness to the full, today and forever. Amen.